Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And this episode, we are going to do a ranking of Paul Thomas Anderson films with uh, Licorice Pizza coming out this year. Um, We wanted to uh, do something that kind of celebrated his entire work. Um, instead of just doing a straight up licorice pizza review, because his filmography is one that both of us have had the opportunity, opportunity to see all of his films. It felt like this would be a good, um, show to do as a ranking show. So we will talk a little bit, probably more about licorice pizza in depth, um, compared to some of the other films in the, in the rankings, just so that we we do a little bit more of a deep dive into that film. But uh, as a whole, this is a ranking show and to celebrate um, the work of Paul Thomas Anderson. So let's just get straight into it. Um, We're going to start with the film that is in last place for me um he has released nine feature films and so the ninth film i have on my list is inherent vice um and this is not to say that it is a bad film uh it just happens to be in my opinion his weakest um in pretty much all of paul thomas anderson's movies we we get some really really great moments even if the entirety of it doesn't work um and this this is a good example of a film where there are some really great moments in this this film uh has some excellent performances Uh, but the the script the screenplay it's a little bit all over the place uh and there are some things that are included in in the film that just don't entirely make sense and kind of take me out of what is happening here. Um, And so that is why I have Inherent Vice number nine on my list. I have Inherent Vice at number nine as well. And um, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I honestly think it's the type of movie that he probably still deserves some credit for adapting a a story because this is based on a Thomas Pynchon novel and from what I've heard I haven't read that novel but it sounds like the novel is very uh, difficult to follow at times and is deliberately kind of uh, confusing and brings in all of these uh, kind of um, psychedelic aspects to the story and I think that that's definitely captured in the movie it just didn't really work for me uh i like a a story that i can follow pretty well even if it is challenging um but i also like a story that feels like it has something to say and i really wasn't sure what this movie had to say uh and so that's why i have it at number nine that being said it's a really great joaquin uh, phoenix performance and it's there's some really funny parts of this movie yeah um but just as a whole it doesn't really tie together the way i like yeah i think honestly the reason that this movie is enjoyable at all is because of the performances and uh there's a dynamic between the character that joaquin phoenix plays a doc 
and uh, the lieutenant, Josh Brolin, where they they kind of exchange um, some shots at each other throughout the film. And uh, it's quite humorous. Um, and, and, and I think that really works. I also really, really, really like Catherine Waterston. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a good actress and probably um, deserves a more roles. Uh, I haven't seen her in a whole lot. Um, but I thought she was probably one of my favorite parts about this this movie. Yeah, I think that she probably uh, is just one of those actors that will get some really good roles here and there, but just for whatever reason can't make it into kind of that upper echelon of stardom. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, I think that's probably a lot of actress or yeah. actors and actresses that, uh, you know, they, they, they're pretty good, but for whatever reason can't make it to that next level. Yep. Um, anything else you want to say about inherent vice before we move on to our number? Eight? I don't think so. I, I think that if it is so, in some ways, it might be one of the funniest movies by Paul Thomas Anderson, but it's just in terms of a full story, it just isn't there. Yeah, I agree. Um, oh, one thing I do want to say, uh, Benicio del Toro's in this, and he is good as always. Uh, I love Benicio del Toro pretty much anything that I see him in, he uh, he kind of steals scenes for me. Um, and I just, there, there's something about his, his performances that are captivating. And that's certainly the case here as well. I agree. 100%. All right. At number eight, I have 2002's punch drunk love. Um, this stars Adam Sandler, uh, and it might've was, was this Adam Sandler's first kind of serious type role? I mean, it's not really a serious role. This still has some comedic uh tendencies but he's more of a straight character than he is in a lot of his other films and so uh there was a lot that kind of ties into this uh or into this film as being a a different experience for adam sandler um and i think that when this movie came out is pretty big because of that um but it is still a little bit strange um i did enjoy it uh, but it's, it's, uh, Adam Sandler's character is just a little too strange for me in terms of really buying into this character and, um, maybe more so than some of his other films. This film maybe isn't as thought provoking. It's a kind of wild story. Um, but it doesn't say a whole bunch beyond what the narrative it has set up for us. Um, but I love Philip Seymour Hoffman in this film. I think that his performance is quite good. And some of the other uh, supporting characters within the film are, are pretty fun. So that why I have that here at number eight. I am a little hurt that you have it so low on your list. I have it at uh, number four on my list. Um, I actually had this higher before watching some things late earlier last summer. I think it was my second favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but then it moved down to four for a couple of different reasons. I'll talk about some of that later. Um, I think that this is where Paul Thomas Anderson starts to move into uh, being a, he, he is more interested in the composition of his shots. The lighting is spectacular he does some really interesting things with the colors of the red and the blue that you keep seeing as a motif in this movie 
Um, I think that it is strange, but that's something that is captivating for me. There's a lot of questions that I have that I'm not fully sure I understand. There's this motif of a piano, a strange kind of piano that shows up in the movie that I don't really fully get, but it makes me, you know, curious about the story. I also like that this is a story that is fairly simple. It doesn't, you know, try to maneuver the plot in any which direction. It just kind of, you follow a guy as he kind of gets into some trouble with some stuff. And it is interesting because we're seeing Adam Sandler do stuff we don't normally get to see him do. Um, Emily Watson also gives a really good performance in this movie. I'd say the biggest thing that made me drop this movie from my number two slot was I felt like that Emily Watson character needed a little bit more written for her to kind of get get me understanding why she has this attraction to Barry Egan, Adam Sandler's character. Um, I'm not sure if that's fully fleshed out to the extent that I wanted it to be. But other than that, um, this is a, a, a favorite of mine and Paul Thomas Anderson, just because it's totally different than what he had done up to that point. And it's still different than some of the stuff he's done so far. I, I actually would make a case that this um, Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza are a similar bunch of movies that because they're all kind of romances or like a version of a romance in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I I certainly can understand that. Um, one thing that I do think about this movie is that it is probably one of his tighter screenplays. Um, I think something about Paul Thomas Anderson is that he um, kind of his screenplays aren't always the most tight screenplays, and you forgive a lot because. Uh, he creates some very interesting characters. His composition is so good. Uh, there's some really good dialogue along the way, but as a whole, some of the stories kind of go off the deep end a little bit at times. And uh, he often makes some longer movies. I think this is easily his shortest movie. It's only an hour and a half. And so mm-hmm. that probably um, that probably contributes to the tightness of the screenplay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that that probably is one of the stronger suit or one of the things that it is more strong suited for. Um, the The thing about Paul Thomas Anderson is he doesn't write fantastic female characters. So uh, with Emily Watson, uh, her character maybe not being as flushed out as we, we maybe want it to be. Um, I just don't know that he knows how to write great female characters that are fully developed. Um, and, uh, he, I think he made it a pretty big attempt to do so in licorice pizza. So we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more, but, uh, that's just, I think that's one of his weaker points, um, overall. Yeah, I, I think, and we'll talk about that probably more as we move forward. Yep. Um, my number seven movie is Magnolia. Um, and I the, after I initially had watched this movie, I had it a little bit higher up on my list. But as I kind of have let some of these movies settle a little bit, you know how you start to get kind of a feel for um, what is more memorable and uh, um, just the way that it makes you feel and the way that 
that you still keep thinking about some of these these films and this one just for me is as interesting of a film as it is uh i i just it it has kind of dropped down a little bit for me um and part of it is that it's just a very 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 long (laughs) movie and uh it almost is trying to do too much and um you know, it gets a little strange toward the end where it's like, okay, that went in a direction I was not expecting it to go in. Um, it is a very interesting film, has great performances from some big time actors, actors like uh, Tom Cruise, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, uh, what What's his name? I can't think of what his name is. Uh, who plays William the Tom- Macy? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, William H. Macy and uh, comedian. Uh, John C. Riley. John C. Riley. That's why I couldn't have trouble coming up with John C. Riley's name. Um, Julianne Moore's in it. Uh, yeah, it, it's got quite a cast. But uh, yeah, overall, um, I think that this is a very interesting film on your first watch of it. And then as you move away from it, it doesn't have the same lasting impact as some of his other movies. Yeah, I have this at number seven as well. Um, I think that it is uh, maybe you, it's the type of movie that you respect because it is really ambitious, but it almost feels a little too ambitious. It's trying to say a lot. And I think that it doesn't say as much as it thinks it's saying. You know what I mean? I agree and, with that. Um, it feels maybe a little pretentious at times. And uh, I, I think that this is um, where he, he kind of needed this type of movie though, to push him into uh, being able to do some things later in his career, I think, to be able to work with big name actors. I mean, Tom Cruise is a huge actor at this time. He is like at the height or just after the height of like his fame and to get him in this movie is a really big deal. And Tom Cruise is doing something that is not typical of a Tom Cruise performance. You know, he is playing a character that is very different. Um, I actually like this movie in terms of the little like vignettes almost more than the way that it all comes together. Um, It felt uh, somewhat forced in some ways. Uh, But again, there's a lot that, Clearly, Paul Thomas Anderson is trying to say in this movie, he must, I feel like he was trying to get a lot off his chest. Um, This is very much a a story about the relationship between parent and child. And uh, that is a theme, I think, early on in his first three movies. Uh, You see it in Heart Eight, you see it in Boogie Nights, and you see it in this movie. And um it's and you see it later i would say in and um there will be blood as well yeah uh, so i think that that is definitely something that's super important to kind of his dna as a storyteller yeah the the idea of yeah parent child relationship and it pops up in kind of uh other ways throughout all of his films really there's yeah. a little bit of a uh parent um child relationship even if it's not a uh, biological parent-child relationship yeah um yep magnolia at number seven at number six i have his first film heart eight um 
I really liked Heart Eight, and I think part of the reason that I have it higher up than some of these other films, even though it's maybe not as uh, as polished as some of the films that I have ranked below it, it I, I, I like the simplicity of it, and it kind of once again I think that it has a pretty tight screenplay. Um, it's the second shortest of his films at an hour and 40 minutes. And uh, it doesn't try to do anything more than simply tell the story that it's telling. It doesn't have other aspects to it that kind of um, take it off on some weird tangent like some of his other movies. Um, and uh, I, I just think it's a very, very enjoyable film um, mm-hmm. that has a smaller cast than some of his others. And uh, I think it just, it it works very, very well. Yeah, I have this at number eight. And this is pretty closely tied with, I'd say, Magnolia. I like them pretty evenly. I'd say I like the story a lot more than I do for Magnolia. But I I think that, uh, I think that maybe this movie feels a little just traditional. You know, like it's, it's the type of story that I think a lot of directors could have made. Um, but it's a great way to start off his career. I, clearly, I think I think that even though the dialogue isn't quite there, he hadn't. I think the dialogue's still strong in Hard Eight. He gets better and better throughout his career. Um, I think the general general like characterization is something that's really promising in this first movie, and it's clear that he builds some interesting characters and is interested in uh, the tension between characters. And again, I was really uh, struck by and uh, captured by the uh, kind of pseudo father-son, father-daughter relationship that's in this movie. Yeah. And it was nice because I'd rewatched it recently and I'd kind of forgot how things played out. And there's a moment in this movie that there's like a information that's revealed that I kind of forgot about. And I was like, oh yeah, that I, I really liked how that was played into the the storytelling yeah i mean it's even though we kind of talk about it being a more simple screenplay there are some twists that go along with it but um yeah you're right the dialogue maybe isn't at the same level which i think honestly is probably paul thomas anderson's strong suit as a writer is his dialogue Mm. um he's gotten very good at writing interesting dialogue that uh some of it's kind of tongue-in-cheek and uh um that, that, that is, but yeah, you're right. Like kind of as we see the the birth of who Paul Thomas Anderson is here, um, you there's a little, there's some rough patches, but I just think this is a very enjoyable movie. One, one thing I'll say about this is the, the big controversy with this movie is he, I think, was um, not happy with how this movie totally turned out or maybe he liked the turnout, but he didn't have full control because the studio was... Yeah making some decisions and he even the name itself he is not a fan of the name heart eight he wanted it to be called sydney that's what he was pushing for and they called it heart eight and so uh i think that uh knowing that there's some tension for him it's hard to say that this is a movie that would be high up on my list just because he himself is maybe not as proud of this or maybe he doesn't respect it in the same way he does his other films you know yeah i completely understand that um so yeah heart eight at number six for me my number five movie uh is 
his most recent licorice pizza. Uh, I, I really liked licorice pizza. I, I think it has some problems. I think that it is uh, not probably one of the best films of the year, even though it's been kind of in that conversation. Um, the, the screenplay is very likely at least the favorite going into uh, Oscar season here um, for best original screenplay. And I, I think the screenplay is probably one of the weaker aspects of the film. If you ask me, it has some really good dialogue. It has some great scenes. Uh, it, but a lot of it I think is very hinged on the performances that it gets from all of its characters um, from all of its actors. And uh, it like I, we had a conversation previously, it's definitely not top tier Paul Thomas Anderson, um, but you can see that he has continued to kind of grow as a filmmaker and wanted to make a movie that kind of fit back into some of his earlier stuff. Um, and move away from kind of the more of that dark uh, take that he was going for for a while there um, with movies like There Will Be Blood, The Master, and Phantom Thread. Um, this one feels a little bit more like a Boogie Nights, maybe not obviously as dark as Boogie Nights or even Inherent Vice, and maybe not as wild as Inherent Vice, um, but it kind of fits within that same that same realm. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it. And I think that it has a sequence in the film that is probably my favorite sequence in any film this entire year. Yeah, I, I did like this movie. I probably didn't like it as much as you did. I have it as number six on my list. So just one below you. And um, I think that it is maybe... The, the frustrating thing for me is I, I guess maybe I like Paul Thomas Anderson when he deals into some of the darker sides of characters. And uh, there's a sequence towards the end of the movie that is very kind of um, sobering for the Alana Heim character as she's put in kind of an awkward situation. And that scene is, I think, even though I, I know the scene you're talking about, and I think that scene is just great for just a, you know the 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 way it's shot and just the intensity of what you're talking about this is where i think i wish the movie had more scenes with that alana heim being kind of put in such a critical position to kind of you know reflect on who she is and i wanted more moments like that i almost feel like this movie while the scene to scene like the scenes themselves work I think that the scene to scene structure and the movement of the different parts of the story together just kind of hang loosely. And I wish that they were a little bit tighter. Um, And again, that's not what the movie's trying to do. I, I, I always feel like I have to acknowledge that a director or a storyteller is um, accomplishing what they set out to do. And I think he does accomplish what he set out to do. I don't think that he's, um, missed the mark on what he wanted to do, but I just don't know if it worked for me. Um, let's talk about, because this is the most recent movie, I want to talk about um, performances in this movie and then um, the sort of controversy of this movie is that there is a uh, age gap between 
the two characters that makes people feel uncomfortable. I feel like we should talk about that, see what we think about that. But um, we can start with either one of those. What do you want to start with? Well, let's let's talk about the performances, because I think that um, this is probably one of the more intriguing movies of the year because of the performances casting two unknown actors as your two leads um is very very risky uh Mm -hmm. especially when you start to surround them with some more seasoned actors um and i think that's a risk that honestly really paid off because i think both alana heim and cooper hoffman are excellent in this film um they they aren't necessarily the best performances of the year but they are of high quality and i think that both could very well have a uh, career in acting if they want to have a career in acting in particular I feel that way about Cooper Hoffman I think that he has a really bright future if he wants to um, just because I think he he has some room to grow Uh, I don't know how old he actually is in real life uh, but uh, he it looks like he was born in 2003 so he'll be 18 19 this year yeah um so i think he still has some room to grow and i i would really like to see him being philip seymour hoffman's son uh end up kind of carrying on his father's legacy um but a lot of heim i think is very very good here too i don't know that she has the capability to maybe be as uh as diverse of an actor moving forward i think we kind of see what we get from her she does an excellent job here um and kind of as you were saying previously uh, i would like would have liked to see a little bit more from her in in terms of depth of character Uh, i feel like we kind of scraped the service or the surface for both of these characters um but we don't get to see the depth as much into who these characters are um, and I think both actors probably have enough there to give us more depth. Um, we just didn't quite see that in the screenplay. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. And the, uh, um, I actually think, uh, just personally, I am excited to see if Alana Heim does do anything in the future. Cause I do think this is sort of a role that was written for her. I mean, they even like sort of just like took the Heim family and just plopped them in this movie so they're not like playing i mean they're obviously characters but they're still a family and they're you know it's not like they had to like stretch how much they had to perform you know and um yeah i it's a there's moments of this movie that are like more charming than anything that paul thomas anderson has done before um i want to talk about bradley cooper real quick and then sean penn sean penn plays a really small, both of them really play small roles within the movie, but they're both memorable sequences that these actors show up in. And uh, you have alluded to that there's a sequence with Bradley Cooper that is very memorable. And the whole the whole way that Bradley Cooper's character is written, it, it just reiterates to me that I, I think Bradley Cooper is maybe one of the best actors we have right now, which I know that sounds maybe dumb to say because I think sometimes he gets people don't respect him in the way they respect, but he to be able to do this sort of thing and then he does Nightmare Alley and I think that his performance in A Star is Born is 
fantastic from a few years ago. Like, I just think he can do a lot of stuff and he never is an actor that you're thinking, Oh, that's just Bradley Cooper doing his thing. He, he feels like a character in the movie. He feels like yep. he's serving the story. And so um, I know he's moving more towards directing, but uh, he clearly hope, wants to start his films. Yes. And I, I hope he continues to be a big, you know, time actor. And he just, there's a quality about him that I don't think very many other actors have right now. Um, he can do so much. And he's, I think a lot of it is he doesn't take himself too seriously. And that's a huge part of it. You know, um, I mean, this doesn't fit exactly, but I think that might be a kind of a good segue into talking about Sean Penn, because I think Sean Penn, um, even though they're not the same in the way that they act, um, Sean Penn for a while, I think was considered probably one of the greatest actors of a certain time period. Um, and he's can do very versatile things too. He can do comedy, he can do drama. Um, and he kind of started to make a transition into being a director too, for a, for a mm-hmm. little bit there and actually had a film this year, uh, as well. Um, his performance in this film probably could have been played by just about anybody. Uh, it, I think it's honestly a sort of a waste of his talent. Cause I think Sean Penn, uh, even though, he maybe is a little bit more dramatic as a person and people rubs people the wrong way. I think he is one of the great actors of my lifetime um, and has put forth some absolutely incredible performances. Um, and so, yeah, his inclusion in this film, I think I was expecting maybe a little bit more from him. Um, and like his, his character is fun. Like I think that it, it's kind of a fun sequence that he's in as well. Uh, but it doesn't really matter that it's Sean Penn. What do you think with, with the way his character and Bradley Cooper's character and Tom Waits, right? Is that the, actor? yeah, yeah. Yep. All three of those guys represent people that are involved in Hollywood. What, what do you think this movie says about Hollywood or like the, the acting world like it definitely paints those people as crazy right (laughs) yeah Yeah. and i mean to be completely honest from what i have read about paul thomas anderson he's sort of that person um or it has been in the past but i think that uh it maybe says just a little bit about how actors kind of live a life that's not normal um they they're able to take some bigger risks uh they can kind of treat people however they want and kind of get away with it and um and so i that narrative might be there a little bit i really honestly did not think about that narrative at all in terms of what it's saying about that uh well more than anything it's kind of there for for i think humor purposes but but then uh, to just kind of lean into it, the, there's because that's there, it makes a bigger deal that he got two pretty much inexperienced actors to be the lead roles. Well, you know? and they're both they're both uh, the characters themselves are both people who are trying to kind of make it yep. and they're having to hustle uh, in order to to make it. And even though. Mm-hmm the character of Gary played by Cooper Hoffman, like he's a very, very confident young man and uh, probably 
he's more confident than his abilities actually carry him. And yes. so his confidence is what actually makes him successful at what he does. Right. Um, but he's having to hustle. Like that's like, he, he has to push himself to uh, be successful. Whereas you see these, these uh, kind of more famous actors playing these uh, already established actors within the this this world that that paul thomas anderson has created and they kind of live these carefree do whatever sort of life um because they have they have arrived and they have made it and so there's kind of this line that these main characters gary and alana are trying to they're, they're trying to make it and they aren't ever able to really kind of get over that hump, but they, they see the world very differently. I don't know that the character of Gary is that much more successful than Alana. It's just the way that he sees the world around him compared to the way that she sees the world. And some Mm -hmm. of that, I think now this may be a good place to talk about that age gap Mm -hmm. and how she maybe is starting to recognize um, as she moves from being sort of an adolescent to an adult, even though she is clearly an adult. But I think there's that time period in your early 20s where you're still trying to kind of figure things out and you have tendencies of being youthful. And she's mm-hmm. in that in between, which I think is a really interesting uh, kind of narrative, especially as she is spending all of her time um, and, and attracted to somebody that's nearly 10 years younger than her and like a sophomore <laughs> in high, high school. school. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was thinking we would go there right after what you were saying. And, you know, to be perfectly honest, I am somebody who does not care when a movie has situations like this, because I don't believe that a movie should be like moralizing whether it's right or wrong to do this. It's just showing that this is what the characters are doing, you know, and that in itself is interesting. What I am more tied up in is, do I believe that it would happen? And there's a degree to which I am not, I wasn't a hundred percent sold on the Alana character having an attraction not even it, it, I don't think it's a sexual attraction. I think it's just like there's a personality, a personality attraction, and she kind of likes. I think she likes the attention that she gets from him, and I don't know. I don't a hundred percent buy that at times. I think we could have maybe pushed a little further into her being more dysfunctional as an adult and you definitely see that she is the very fact that she is spending so much time with high schoolers shows that she is dysfunctional yeah but i almost wanted maybe some more evidence of that well and I, the form. and I think that goes back to kind of the point we talked about earlier that there needed to be a little bit more depth to these characters in particular her character and even though this is probably the best female character that he has written um in his filmography uh it still leaves a little bit more to be developed um whereas he was able to do that a little bit with some of his male characters maybe he's just uncomfortable in writing for females on the screen and kind of trying to put 
his mind into their mind and it just does, doesn't quite work in that way. Yeah. I, I, I do think that there's one other character that is a better written female character, but I'll talk about that later. Um, okay. I, I think that, but this is definitely up there with some of the better ones and I'd like to see him well, perfect it, you know, or, or get better at it. Uh, and it, it seems like this was an attempt to do that. Um, I well, think- it's the first time we're, the female character is arguably the center character um, entirely the center character uh, because in every other film, there's a male character who is uh, clearly the main character. Right. And, and, you know, this is definitely a shared story between the two of them, but I do think she's the one that is the focus. Yeah. I, I mean, and maybe that's just because we're, seeing it through her eyes mostly like we as adults think we relate to her more but the thing is that she's somewhat attached to every storyline uh that we see from the gary character um even the pinball uh venture that he gets into even though she's not directly attached to that venture um she still kind of almost advises him on that and is the catalyst for that adventure or that venture. And, um, but we see parts of her storyline that he's not attached to at all. Right. um, As she's trying to kind of find her way as an adult in this world. Um, And one of the things that I think is probably pretty interesting about the screenplay is that that moment toward the end of the film that you're talking about that you think is the best part and that we I think both wish probably they dug into a little bit more and I would have liked to have seen more from that um the setup though of her still kind of make making more youthful ignorant decisions uh that is why she ends up kind of in that situation that she ends up in at the very end because she yeah. she has this hope that it's going to be something different than it actually ends up being and right. and that uh is is kind of that that loss of innocence yeah. in a way that we are seeing play out on the screen yeah and that and i think if you are going to go into this movie i think reading it as a movie that is about the loss of innocence or the or the capturing of your innocence, recapturing of your innocence or recapturing your childhood or your youth. I think that that is the, the, I mean, for you can read this movie in a lot of different ways, but I think for me, that is the most effective way to read it. Um, And it's the way that you're going to buy into the Alana character's decisions the most. Um, Again, there's some really amazing parts of this movie, but just, and like, I, I would say this is a great, movie in any time but i don't know that uh it is just my favorite paul thomas anderson there's so many other great paul thomas anderson movies yep we're going to talk about those here in one moment one last thing that i want to say about this is that i think this is a movie that has potential um to grow on me uh through repeated viewings as i may see some more of the nuance and the characters and the within the script um but uh yeah i think it kind of fits in the middle tier of paul thomas anderson movies um so at number four i have boogie nights 
Um, I really, really love this film. It is, I think, a little too long. Um, it is two and a half hours, and I don't think it needs to be two and a half hours. Um, there's some sequences in here that I think kind of get drawn out that uh, probably didn't need to be drawn out as long as, as they were. And uh, I think you could maybe have cut this movie down to about two hours, and it would have been just as effective. Um, so I think there's some pacing issues here, but this was really Paul Thomas Anderson coming out as an auteur where his, his style and tone and the way that he is as a filmmaker is stamped on this film. Um, and you get every, everything that we love about Tom or Paul Thomas Anderson, we get in this film and uh, yeah, it's a very, very enjoyable experience. Yeah, I have this actually as my number two movie. I really, really like this movie. And it wasn't that high before watching it last summer. And I just was struck by how uh, how much Paul Thomas Anderson is. He is very good, I think, with the exception of maybe Magnolia. I think he is very good at just building character and weaving those character stories i think that he builds the character really well in magnolia but i don't know if he weaved them as well as i'd like them to have been you know woven a little together. too clunky in that movie yeah this feels so well structured and pu pulled together i can i respect the idea that it is maybe a little too long i think that when they get into the sequence of it's the 80s and they are it shows his kind of rise to fame and some of that stuff i think we could have cut a little bit out of, out of that um and then i think as he's starting to uh spiral i think you can cut a little bit out of that sequence but i ultimately don't have a huge issue with the pacing of the movie there's certain there's certain parts of this movie that you know he he is he's able to uh, edit really well, first of all. His editing is really strong in this movie, specifically when he is showing how each of the... There's a sequence where it's... Uh, Mark Wahlberg's character is kind of put in a financially tough situation and he makes a decision to basically kind of sell himself uh, to this guy uh, and for sexual, you know, a, encounter or something. And... Uh, that's woven together with a sequence where uh, Heather Graham's character is like, they're trying to do like this, like on meet this guy on the street sort of, uh, you know, proposition and for like sex and the way that those scenes are edited together and thematically how they're both experiencing something similar and uh, the way that the there's tension throughout that sequence is I think um, the part of the movie that really worked for me. And then the way that that there's a part where the cars are driving by and then it follows Don Cheadle's character as he goes into that uh, diner and yeah. it leads to kind of this climactic moment there. And I just, I just think that the storytelling from a visual standpoint is really, really, really strong in this movie. I mean, and I think that honestly, 
that's what Paul Thomas Anderson is good at is he is good at visual storytelling. Um, and he does a really, really good job of that um, in all of these films that I think that we have here in the top tier. Cause I, this is what, this is the first film that I consider to be um, in my list, a top, a tier above everything else by quite a bit. Um, I yeah. think these four films that I have left here, uh, they all just are, quite excellent um yeah. and and he's just a fantastic visual storyteller in in that manner yeah um then for me i would just say because this is i would say my top five i feel pretty good because i include punch drunk love in there at my number four but yeah this is my number two so you're at number three now i'm at number three okay. my number three paul thomas anderson film is phantom thread uh which was previously his last movie that he had done before licorice pizza came out this year um and it was uh, daniel day lewis's final film um as far as retirement uh, we don't know if he'll eventually come back but um if if this was daniel day lewis's final film it was an excellent one um and paul thomas anderson kind of just hands over the reins to uh daniel day lewis and this is where i think paul thomas anderson is truly at his best when he just makes very thought-provoking movies where you may not state um exactly what he is trying to say but allows you visually and through uh, performances to really capture what he is trying to get at with this movie. Yeah. And I absolutely love this movie. You knew that going into this, this is my yep. favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yep. It, it, is, as much. it is for me um, just what, what I think movies should strive to be, <laughs> you know, just like movies that capture a side of humanity that is, maybe we don't think about it in that way and this is capturing uh what uh, a marriage looks like and how how a marriage might and not saying this is true of all marriages i don't think that's what he's saying but that this is a type of relationship that probably exists but he's going to show it in a unique way that gets us to think about it in ways we don't uh typically think about it's about power you know and who has the power in your relationship and what that does for the coexistence of those two people. And I, um, I imagine that this is the female character that you were talking about. Yeah. Vicky crepes in this movie. I think, first of all, to be put in a position where you are having to act alongside with somebody who is considered the greatest actor, not only of our generation, but some people say of all time on screen. Yeah. And to be able to, I think, I mean, this is just my personal opinion. I think she holds her own really well. I, and we still are seeing the story through her eyes for a lot of the movie. The movie starts with her kind of telling a story to the doctor at the very beginning saying that, Reynolds Woodcock is a very difficult or challenging man to be with, but she likes that challenge. That's kind of how this story is started. And um, I thought that the back and forth between the characters and how they kind of try to 
they care for one another at times, but they also try to stop one another from getting what they want. And uh, they keep kind of heightening that throughout the movie. And um, it's a dark movie. It's also kind of a romantic movie at times. It feels kind of gothic. It feels like Hitchcock at times. The music, the score is one of my favorite scores of all time. It's Johnny Greenwood. It's just, I love this movie so much. Yeah, uh, I this is so we talk about like Magnolia and how Magnolia, the longer I get away from it, the less it sticks with me. Phantom mm. Thread, I still cannot shed how I'm connected to this film. Like it yeah. just does something to you where it just lingers, and uh, that just cannot be said for a lot of films, and so yeah. that's what I think truly makes this film special is that there's like almost kind of this uh un like it's unsettling in a way where it just it just sticks with you and it makes you think and uh yeah i mean from from top to bottom this is probably nearly a perfect film yeah and the the i think that this is the type of movie that it it's can feel really slow and if you're not into uh if 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 cinematography isn't something that you're looking for when you see a story and you just like you know uh kind of plot driven type stories this is i think maybe not a great pick for somebody to to watch just because it it can feel slow at times and um you really just kind of have to sit with this movie sometimes and just kind of watch things unfold. And, um, but that for me, it just, it, it's like haunting, you know, like it's haunting in a good way. It gives you this kind of question that you're not sure how to resolve within yourself as you watch it. Yep. I, I agree with that sentiment. All right, let's move on to number two. Number two, I have the master. Um, and, we, we talk about how um, Daniel Day-Lewis is considered probably one of the greatest actors of all time, or at least in my lifetime, one of the greatest actors. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are in that same conversation um, between those three. Those three might be my three favorite actors of my lifetime, which is a pretty big statement. Um, and uh, getting to see... Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix work together in so many scenes in this movie, which doesn't really have a true narrative. Um, This is a very, very performance driven film with excellent cinematography, a fantastic score and uh, very, very thought provoking. Yeah, I, I think the cinematography and this is maybe the best cinematography in any of his movies and the performances are maybe some of the best in any of his movies. I think the thing that puts it at number five for me is that I don't really know what this movie is. I, I am every time I watch it, I think maybe I think about something new, which is really cool, but I, I think that it's it's a loose movie and that really works for a lot of people. Uh, for me, it, it works. I'm still captivated by it. I, I still think this is like his top tier movies, 
but I just compared to some of the other ones, I, because I don't really know what to think sometimes I, I think I put it at number five. Uh, I will say that there's the kind of interview sequence where he does, where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is recording Joaquin Phoenix for the first time during that kind of session that they do. And that is maybe one of the best acting sequences on screen Ever. of all time. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we talk about this, I think quite often because this is how we see cinema. Um, but there are certain actors that just drown out other actors. A lot of times um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix uh, it would be very, very easy to be in a scene with them and get drowned out by the performance because they're just so captivating. But to have them both in the, in the same scene, it's just unbelievable. And uh, it just brings me so much joy. I don't even care what they're talking about. I just want to watch them. Well, in that, you know, like it is, it is the, you feel like you are just getting to see anything everything that they're capable of as actors in this movie and you know you could say that a scene where it's just two guys sitting at a table talking would be really boring but it is like a hundred percent captivating there's tension there there's uh every little just kind of expression that Joaquin Phoenix has and just kind of this almost stoicness or the the um just kind of general nonchalance of the philip seymour hoffman character how that dynamic plays off of one another is really interesting and they're totally different characters but the way that they feel connected to one another is really interesting throughout the movie and that i mean that is what drives the movie is their connection to one another oh without a doubt without a doubt i agree with that yeah um so you put that at number five right you said yep number five all right and my number one movie is There Will Be Blood. I absolutely love this movie. And every single time I watch it, I feel like I love it a little bit more. Um, it would have been my personal pick for Best Picture the year that it won. And I think that in many, many years, it probably would have won Best Picture if it weren't for the fact that No Country for Old Men is equally as good of a film. Um, the composition of this film paired with an incredible performance from Daniel Day-Lewis, an incredible score. I think that this is pro in my opinion, this is his best screenplay um, because even though it doesn't have a super tight narrative, uh, I think it doesn't have a ton of wasted uh, screen uh, time from from these scenes and uh yeah i just i i love this movie through and through and it, it i think it's just a really special movie that actually has quite a bit to say yes a hundred percent i think that this is the movie though that you would you would cat you know when you think about authors writing the great american author this is his try at writing the great American screenplay or a great American story for film. And I think that it is a contender for like one of the best stories about what America is about. Uh, and the uh, way that both capitalism is talked about in this movie and religion is talked about this movie in this movie and how they work together 
it is a really uh, compelling story that's there. Um, and the thing that makes this a really successful movie that I think, and the reason why so many people would say it's a, a masterpiece is that he is able to talk about those things and it doesn't feel pretentious. It doesn't feel like he is only trying to say those things. It still feels like this is a real character that could have existed. And a lot of that is a testament to Daniel Day-Lewis as a performer. Oh, yes. And getting uh, one of the best performances of all time in a movie. So you have that at number three, is that? I have that at number three, yep. And this is a movie that I haven't seen in a little bit, but I could very easily see it moving up to number two and being kind of tied with Phantom Thread for me at number one, just because uh, Boogie Nights, I, I, I would say this is just generally true of his movies. They get better the more you watch them. I and agree. He uh, makes you think about something new almost every time you see his movies and that is a testament to a really good filmmaker so yeah it's at number three right now but it could move up you know it could move down but that's the thing like it could only move down because something else i rewatch and i'm like licorice pizza maybe the next time i see licorice pizza i'll love it and it just goes way up to the top or something i don't know but yeah yeah um i, I think that does kind of encapsulate how we both feel about Paul Thomas Anderson. We could have very easily done a marathon this past year of Paul Thomas Anderson films um, like we did for Wes Anderson uh, and spent just an ungodly amount of time thinking about each film and really, really really pick them apart. But uh, yeah, he's just that sort of director. Um, And every single time he releases a movie, I am going to be intrigued and very excited. And even though Licorice Pizza maybe didn't live up to my expectations, I still think it was a solid effort. And something that we should maybe talk about um, is that he tries to kind of give a different feel or tone to every single movie in the way that he makes his movies, even though there are certain things that he does very, very well. His cinematography is a little bit different in every movie. Um, The score or music in every film kind of has a little bit different feel to it. Uh, Obviously his stories are all very different in terms of what they are trying to communicate. Um, His characters are different. Uh, and I, I really do appreciate that about him as a filmmaker. Um, one thing I do want to say about the characters and kind of his writing, um, cause I think the writing is probably the thing that, uh, is very likely to turn some people away from, from him is that he, he doesn't write a screenplay that is super accessible to the average person. Um, and he writes characters that are kind of hard to relate to because uh, they they're extreme versions of somebody um, in a lot of cases uh, and but I think that's part of what makes his films continue continue to be interesting and different from one another is that he he does have these characters that are very unique and outside of anything that we typically see in the movies on any given year right and he's able to do things dramatically in a, in a drama that just we don't see you know it's 
And he does, I think he blends the serious and the comedic really, really well. I would say even in a movie like There Will Be Blood, there's moments that are funny in that movie, even though it's like yep. actually horrifying at times. Yep. Um, and so I think that that is a really impressive part of his storytelling. Um, can I ask you a question to end things here? Yeah. Is that okay? So yeah. I, my, my question for you is what is a type of movie or project that you would like to see Paul Thomas Anderson do in the future? Is there like a, a, we talked about how he does something kind of different with each of his movies or he tries to do something new. Is there like an area or a, a, a place that he hasn't gone yet that you think would be cool to see him do? Um, I think, I mean, maybe there's a few different things that I would like to see him do. It might be kind of interesting to see him do something that's maybe a little bit more sci-fi or mm. kind of like uh, a a horror type movie um, that that is kind of fits within that genre. Um, I think it would also be kind of fun to see him do a musical. Uh, I I feel like he could do a great musical because I mean he is a a music video director. He has made tons of music videos, and so yeah. he clearly knows how to uh incorporate music into his films so i I think that would be kind of cool to see i'd also really like to see what a paul thomas anderson animated film might be like yeah Uh, that i think he could do some pretty wild stuff with that that would hit uh people in a an area that they didn't even know they wanted a paul thomas anderson animated film but ends up being like the talk of the year yeah, I hadn't even considered the idea of him doing animated, but that would be awesome. Um, the the one that I was going to say was a musical. Uh, I I think here's my, I, it's not very specific, but my pitch for a Paul Thomas Anderson musical is I'd love to see him write a story about like a band in the 90s or something. And like, they're like a punk band or like a, a, a like, uh, Nirvana type band and then like just kind of follow that band for a little bit and uh, I don't really even care what happens with that band maybe they like become really big or maybe they're never big and they just have run-ins with other artists and it could be like his version of like a Llewellyn or uh, Inside Llewyn Davis yeah, yeah. Uh, and his version of that thing you do yeah his version of that thing you do like <laughs> I just, I think that he would be able to do that so well. And it would be kind of like a musical because there would just be like songs every once and again. Um, but I think that would be sick. Yeah. I w- Let's make it happen. We should probably write his publicist and see if we, we can like, get a... Do you have any interest in this? And he'd be like, no. No. No, I don't take other people's ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it is going to be interesting to see what he does next. I think we see something that said Denzel wants to work with him. Or, uh, it might or, have. Did, or did he say Wes Anderson? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Denzel wants to just work with all the best filmmakers. And so uh, he I would 100% love to see Denzel and Paul Thomas Anderson make a movie together. I would think be, that would be awesome. It'd be an intense film. So yeah. uh, make it happen. Make it happen, PTA. Let's make this this go. Yeah. Um, and well, that wraps up our conversation on 
uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's films and in particular licorice pizza. Um, and if you are a fan of any of his films and haven't seen some of the others, I highly recommend seeing them. If you've never seen any of his films, you may not like them. Uh, but if you do, uh, he is definitely worth the journey of watching all of his stuff. So um, check him out. Uh, a lot of his stuff is on Netflix and Hulu. And, uh, and basically, I think pretty much everything you can see somewhere now, um, with yep. the exception of Licorice Pizza, which you still have to see in the theaters. But um, check him out. Um, and until next time, have a great week. See you later. Thank you.